Welcome to the Act React podcast, where we explore improvisation through conversations with remarkable artists. I'm the host, Daniel Burkholder, a dance artist in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Today is kind of a, a special conversation that I'm having with Susan Murphy. Um, I've known Susan for years. She and my wife, Andrea Burkholder, have collaborated in both creating and performing and also teaching aerial, aerial and ground dancing. Um, Susan comes to this work with such a broad range of experience within dance, aerial work, improvisation, but really just the arts in general. I've even had the pleasure of staying at Susan's beautiful home down on the coast of Georgia, where we've gone canoeing at high tide in the marshes and sat on the deck in the middle of the night watching uh, kind of meteor showers. So I'm really at a delightful time having this conversation with Susan, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to enjoy kind of all the kind of turns and, and nooks and crannies that this conversation kind of gets into. Um, here's a bit about Susan before we start. Susan Murphy is a certified movement analysis from the Laban Bartini of Institute of Movement Studies. She is the founder and artistic director of Canopy Studio, an aerial dance, movement education, and performance center in Athens, Georgia. She was a guest artist and instructor at the University of Georgia Dance Department um, from 1999 to 2001. She began her studies in aerial dance with Terry Sengraf in 1978, while simultaneously getting her master's in dance at Mills College in Oakland, California, and has been developing aerial dance as movement exploration and expressive art ever since. Since retiring as director of Canopy, she has taught workshops in San Francisco, Portland and Ashland, Oregon, Washington, DC, Philadelphia, New York City, Boston, Houston, and Boulder, Colorado, and has performed at the Aerial Dance Festival in Boulder, Colorado, the Skirball Theater in New York City, and NECA's Circus Spectacular in Brattleboro, Vermont, as well as doing many performances in her home studio that she has now um, in Georgia. Susan was the 2021 recipient of the Governor of Georgia's Individual Award in the Arts and Humanities. Before we get started, just one little note. In our conversation, Susan will just kind of mention Andrea, and that is Andrea, my wife, that she's referring to. And she'll also kind of talk a little off screen to Don and talk about Don. And Don is her husband and kind of co-conspirator in um, all of the kind of artistic and otherwise adventures that they've had in their lives. So, um, so why don't we go ahead and get started? Enjoy. Well, hi, Susan. And thank you so much for joining me on the ACT REACT podcast today. Um, I want to just start off and jump in. It's the, kind of the question I always start with is how does improvisation show up in your life today, in your art making, in your everyday life, and any aspect of your life? Every time I open my mouth. <laughs> I mean, really, we're improvising all the time. Mm -hmm. When I wake up in the morning, you know, I'll start talking to my husband, but I haven't planned that. I mean, and what I, I mean, some there's your structure, obviously, you know, but within that structure, which is what I love about the way um, Andrea and I teach improvisation, we have a structure, but we have structured improv. So I feel like, you know, a good day has a lot of just improvised moments within a structure, especially being home a lot. I, I definitely need some structure to keep myself focused. Yeah, totally. 
And then the other thing is I got a master's in dance at Mills College, which was a miracle because I don't know why they accepted me. I didn't even have to audition. I guess they were desperate. This was 78. Um, I don't remember. I mean, I'm sure I got a recommendation from this woman I was taking that dance from in Atlanta. That's when only first time I started taking dance. When I was young, I had tap and ballet, but I would leave the class and go climb on the monkey bars. <laughs> so I did not, I did not um, feel comfortable in the modern dance program at Mills because it was structured and because I didn't have a, a back. A, 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 you know, a dance background. So I would go and across the tracks into Berkeley and study with Terry Sengraf, whose main approach to movement, and she was a gymnast and a dancer, was improv. Yeah. So let's, we can, let's, let's dive into that for a moment since you brought it up. I, um, you know, as I'm sitting here and, and looking at you on the screen, I see behind you your beautiful house. Yeah. Um, that I've had the pleasure of being in. And um, I see the, the trapeze and the aerial equipment hanging behind you. And that has been a, a major focus for your dance artistic expression. But you were right there with Terry taking from her right at the beginning of when she was starting all this, I understand. Yes, yes. And I wanna read you uh, apart from this journal. Look at this journal, it's tearing apart. Um, I went to Terry Skylight Studio, overcoming some initial resistance. I have slow, low energy. Um, Terry began in an almost church-like way, chanting, ah, ah. So I joined and I felt stronger with my voice. Swinging on the trapeze, I began sw singing, swing low, sweet chariot. I feel Terry beneath me. I place my hand on her head. We join together in a song. I slowly descend and we hold each other, softly singing over and over, coming for to carry me home. That was my first uh, experience with Terry. Wow, that is really lovely. What a, what a treat to kind of have that history um, recorded there in that journal, even though it's, it's on its last legs. Yes, yes. She just was so, she did not have a uh, technique uh, in, in the era in dance. And, and then it wasn't, there wasn't an aerial dance. It was just circus. Right. And so she just, she came at it from being a tomboy like I did because she was a, a Southerner, grew up in Florida and would swing out over the Watt River in a tire swing on a single point. Yeah. And decided, why can't we do something with a single point swinging around in a studio? That seems logical, right? Yeah, it seems very logical. So she came at it not having a vocabulary, which I had to really develop later on with Elsie and Serenity Smith, who were circus trained. Right. So at some point, I had to amp up my technique in order to keep on exploring this form in a fuller, more expressive way. Because Terry, we were just making stuff up. We didn't have a technique, yeah. but mostly she was, she was a therapist. So she was mostly concerned with the relationship with each other, the relationship with the floor, the relationship with the trapeze and ourself. Right. And then we did a lot of witnessing and sharing and just making stuff up. And she had, 
a year of Sundays, every Sunday for a year, she would come in there sometimes with guest artists or sometimes by herself and do a whole hour of improvisation. Oh, wow. And to, as, as a performance. Yes. Yeah. As a performance as a performance, people were invited and you've done something like that. I think. Yeah, yeah that's right. That, that, that has its roots in, in, and Terry, um, just feeling like she wanted to put herself out and that kind of vulnerability. That's and great. and you, you went to a number of those performances. I did. I was in them. You were in them. You were in them. Of course you were. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so really briefly, I kind of want to move, shift a little bit, but before we do that, in those performances, we, earlier you talked about structure. Yes. Was there any structure? Was it more like open? Like, let's see what happens over this next hour. Was there any kind of like, oh, we'll start this way. Let's make sure this happened. Was it what? Yeah. So what kind of structure was there or was there not? You know, I don't remember. Yeah. I really don't remember. I do remember one time she created a special trapeze for me that was a big triangle because it was all on one point, but uh -huh. it was up against the wall. Oh, interesting. So she had a big triangle. She and she made it just for me for some reason. And then I had to dance with a with a trapeze up against the wall, pushing away from the wall and keeping myself from slamming into the wall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dancing on this big trapeze and that 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 I do remember yeah. um, but so, mostly it was open improv and she but but I do I do think she had more structure than Ruth Sapora that's right because also transition a little bit you also studied with Ruth Sapora same time I was studying with Terry Ruth was sharing Skylight Studio with Terry uh-huh and I studied with Terry Al Wonder, who I have a book I'm going to send you of his improvisations. Um, and then some contact improv was going on in there. Right. And then Terry's the one that introduced me to Mary Whitehouse. Okay, so th there's a lot to unpack here in that little bit of statement here. It was a teeming beehive. Yeah. In the late 70s of people just breaking out in wild and crazy California, Berkeley into improv and it was happening in New York too. Yeah, and, and it sounded like you were like right in the center of it, like going back between I was, I all was of right it. in the center of it. Yeah, so what, so you were also, while you're doing this stuff with Terry and the, the trapeze and the, the aerial dance as it was evolving, you were also engaging with or taking classes from working with Ruth Sapora. Yes, I was. And like, what, what was the, what was, the, what were you learning in that context that was different maybe than working with Terry? Um, Ruth, Ruth had scores that we had when we were, when we had class, but then when we performed, you know, we were just on our own out there like naked babies. <laughs> and um, I have a, I have something about Ruth I could read you. Okay, great. Is this from a, is this from a journal? Sorry, is this from another journal? Yes, this is okay. from May 29th, 1978. Ruth is getting more and more intense about her vision for my performance group. It's scary. She can be so hard, relentless, perfectionistic. I ask her for more gentleness and support and positive reinforcement. She says she hears me, had assumed that we were equals with her and could take her hard comments. 
I can, but I need the balance of both in love. It's hard for her to get behind why our impulses come out the way they do, what freezes in us, what blocks intuitive trust and gives access to spontaneous committed expression. She either loves what comes out or doesn't and deals with our form in her criticism. Yes. So I, as, as you know, I interviewed Ruth I earlier. Know, I heard that. You yeah. Didn't talk that much. Yeah. Um, in the fall and um, definitely her intensity was clear. And so, so the process of working with her, even though she was trying to like open up this improvisational life for, for you all sounds like it was also like being in a pressure cooker a little well, bit. It was, I mean, I can't, fault her. She really had a clear vision and she's brilliant. Um, and I did learn a lot. You know, you learn from hard teachers and soft teachers. So I had the counterbalance of Ruth Zipporah and Terry Sindegrad and then Mary Whitehouse. And so here's what I, here's the amazing realization I had five minutes ago. Here's uh, Terry, the emotional part of me. Mm -hmm. Here's Ruth Zipporah, intellectual you know, and then Mary Whitehouse, the intuitive and contact improvisation, mostly physical. Yeah. We had, we had scores, but it was a lot of just getting in there and, you know, rolling around on each other, counterbalancing each other, taking each other's weight, you know. Yeah. So I had the four parts of a person, you know, the, a person's personality, the spiritual, yeah. physical, intuitive and mental and these four experiences all happening at once like kind of interweaving with one another yeah. yeah so let's let's just touch on working with mary whitehouse oh boy and what what that was like for you and and again kind of what what do you carry forward from that experience she was the most natural loving person and she would have the most simple structures like um seating cross-legged become aware of my breastbone, face, and hands. What is the relationship between the three? When one moves, what happens to the others? Hmm. What did I say again? The face, the, face. the hands, and the, and the breastbone. Yeah. Now, I, I did not remember this until I got this, until I picked up my journal. Yeah. But I do an improv now on chairs that is one of my favorite improvisations. Ruth actually worked with chairs too, but not, not in the way that I'm gonna tell you, yeah. where I would, and Andrea and I have done this, and it, it's a wonderful improvisation, and you can layer it. Like at first, you're all sitting in a line, right? And you just, just move your head with your eyes closed, mm -hmm. you know? And then when I chime my bells, everybody comes to stillness. Because that's one thing I've noticed, and Mary Whitehouse also uh, commented on that. You know, you move so much, there's so little stillness. And in improv, the way she taught it, you would not move until you felt like you just had to move. You just, it was just coming out of you with such in integrity and intention, but it wasn't mental. It was another body moving it through your body. Mm -hmm body a spirit body so i've done this improv now with chairs where i would say what is your relationship sitting in a chair between your head your hands 
and your face or your head, your hands and your torso. Your torso, yeah. And wow. So not, and I've done that. And then I keep layering on that. You can layer it and layer it and layer. Eyes closed, eyes open, relating to each other, relating just to yourself, relating to each other and the audience. So and moving, I say, I say, the last time I did it, I said, you have to stay in contact with the chair the whole time, but you can move out of the chair, but you have to stay in contact with it. And so here's these people carrying their chairs around the room. <laughs> and I never thought they would do that. It's, it's always whenever you're teaching improvisation and you think you give these directions that in your mind mean a very specific thing, and then yes. they take them in these, they stay, they stay true to what you said, yes. but they branch it out, they open it up, they expand it in ways that you um, never imagine. It's one of the delights. That's right. Um, I mean, she was so perceptive to marriage. Whenever, when I would move, she would give such fine-tuned feedback. And here's one. Mary commented, my dance was an interesting blend of colloquial and Eastern. My American body moving in Eastern ways. Also, my up-down connection, hands and feet with strings attached, but little hand-hand, foot-foot connection. Hmm. So she would give simple, like you were the center of a circle, explore what that circle is. And then probably you've been doing these. I don't know what people are doing, you know, but uh, when she did it, and of course it was private therapy, she oh. would just be focused on me and give me such gentle, but, you know, clear impression and then lead me to the next thing from that. Uh-huh, right. Wow. So, so you're working with Mary Whitehouse one-on-one, -on -one. you're learning how to hang from things with Terry, you're yeah. like challenging yourself, going through the grinder with Ruth, and then also you're doing contact improvisation. Yes. And again, this is, this is the late 70s. I'm also getting a master's in modern dance. You're getting a Right, which is that was that was so peripheral to me. Yeah. And I'm amazed I got it. I did not get it by doing a dance. I got it by doing because I knew I could not choreograph. I couldn't remember sequences. Yeah. And I couldn't I couldn't put together a dance like other people were doing in the modern dance. Department. So sure. they let me they were just glad to get rid of me. I think they <laughs> let me do a my modern my modern dance master's thesis was me dancing in four different trees and relating to the trees in different ways and having a, it was a video. Oh, nice. I wish I, I, I think I have it. I'll see if I can find it by the time Andrea comes. Oh, that would be lovely to see just to you know, like, think about that. That is where so many things started and, and evolved from. Um, yeah. You know, I, was it after that that you were in New York and oh, yeah. you, you were in New York and I know there's a story about you like hanging trapezes in your like apartment or loft? That loft you were 20, 23rd and 6th Avenue. I had a top floor loft. So I, I hung them from the skylight. Okay. And it was a strong, you know, metal skylight with bars. Yeah. So it was yeah. perfect. I hung them from there. And um, 
I taught trapeze in my loft and I had a little performance in my loft with a musician who, um, who played uh, uh, the violin. Hmm. And I invited people and it was a walk-up, six floor walk-up. So that did limit the audience. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That limited the audience somewhat. So um, Don, so, Don is smiling at me so much over here. <laughs> he, loves, he loves hearing all this. Some of it you probably haven't heard, Don. Um, then I could get into how I met Don. Um, I started doing the um, Laban work there then. Yeah. And I started um, exploring a little bit, but not too much, um, connecting some of the... Um, especially the effort work in, in Laban, which is more of the emotional part. There's a space part. There's a space harmony part. There's the body level part. It's kind of a tripod of three. And then there's the effort part, which is what the inner impulse that, that uh, you tap into to choose your expressive qualities when you move. So, and this is a, this is a thing that you, you went ahead, you got certified in Laban movement analysis and the work. Yeah, I was a massage therapist too. And you're a massage therapist, of course, of course. And, um, and that is something that you, you use still quite a bit in your teaching and you're working with Ariel. Could you talk a little bit about how you apply the Laban work in, in the Ariel work you do today? Yes, I, I, I thought I felt very strongly that the Laban um, effort system, space, time, weight, and flow, was very accessible to people without having a deep structural overlay of concepts and intellectual and stuff. It's how we, again, you're always improvising. Well, I'm, I'm improvising right now with my hands as I gesture to you. Right. And you know, I, I have a, everybody has their own, uh, signature, but then you also, when you perform, want to break out of your signature and pull in other, other um, expressive palette, you know, paints for your dance palette that are still very, that you are still very accessible. It's, they're not esoteric. They're what we use in life. And the more you understand it, the more you can actually be more efficient in making conscious choices in how you do task in life. Mm -hmm. Because Laban studied all kinds of movement. He was an avid observer of movement. And his father was a uh, military person. His mother was an artist. He traveled all over Europe watching movement from his father's military and he would watch these military drills and then his mother was an artist and they would go to dance and theater and so he really saw how there were certain things that was a, across the board you could um codify yeah if uh space time weight and flow yeah and so to in in today like when you're working with you're teaching a workshop or something like that how do you bring in like specifically, how do you bring in the efforts to work with the students? Um, what I 
usually do when they when well for one thing you 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 rarely use one effort at a time sure. it's usually a combination like a musical score but you have to break it down into to teach it uh, flow weight space and time so i have them go on what i call an effort journey i put on music and then i it like they're going through a field and they're just children and then they're just in free flow this is an example, like the flow. Yeah. They're in free flow. They're just skipping and hopping and they're in free flow. And then all of a sudden they come to a, a part of the ground that's very uneven, that's got roots in it and little holes and they have to bind their flow and they have to go into bound flow to move through that terrain to be careful, mm -hmm. constrained, detailed, so I take them on an effort journey where I go through flow, space, wait, and time in that you would do in just real life. I see, right. You know, that you would, to show them that this is not apart from real life, but you can use it. And of course, when you perform, you wanna have movements that people can relate to, expressive movements that they can, they can feel that it's something they might do themselves mm -hmm. maybe, or mm -hmm. that they would, have access to emotionally, not just some adornment. Yeah. Some some gesture adornment, but that you know you're you're really showing the universality of space, flow, wait, and time. So I go through, and then we we do it, and then uh, I always. But this in, this gets into then not so much the law bond. This gets more into um, Mary Whitehouse. I always have a move uh, on the trapeze with their eyes closed. Oh, and that's something I didn't say about Mary. You always were moving with your eyes closed, which is authentic movement. Right. And right. she felt like you could tap into a deeper place. And I do too, yeah. you know, with your eyes closed moving. Of course, you have to be safe. And then I have people on the floor witnessing. And that's Terry and Mary Whitehouse. Not Ruth so much. Um, so, so it, it right now when you're what I'm hearing now is like you're using the efforts, the law on efforts to create like this palette for them to explore, and yeah. and then at the same time you're using these influences from Mary and Terry for them to improvise on the trapeze with their eyes closed and with witnesses. And it, it sounds like such a beautiful kind of culmination of all these histories to take to kind of create something that is uniquely you. Yes, yes. Yeah. And and then there's all words. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Now, now and I just last night, I want to read just this one little one little um, sentence that I thought, yeah. wow, that's beautiful. Um, I'm reading a book called The Kitchen. It's really, uh, yeah, okay. Um, so without that, oh, okay. I think this is in the wrong order. Without that, I'm not alive. That is what makes the life I have now possible. Inching one's way along a steep cliff in the dark. On reaching the highway, one breathes a sigh of relief. Just when one can't take any more, one sees the moonlight. Beauty that seems to infuse itself 
into the hearts. I know about that. No matter what, I want to continue living with the awareness that I will die. Mm, wow. There's so many physical images in that, mm -hmm. inching along in the dark, you know, the despair, and then seeing the moonlight, and then realizing beauty infuses everything. And then Mary Oliver's, um, Mary Oliver's beautiful line, um, oh, what is my name? Oh, what is my name that I may offer it back to this beautiful world? Hmm. And I feel like now there's just such, and I know you do, and there is just such heartache and suffering. There is also beauty though. There is beauty and we have to, and there is connection and there's, and that's why I, when Andrea and I did our last show, we did uh, tonight, the subject is love. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't, we, we also went into, you know, some of the hard moments, but I don't believe in just la la la, no big deal. But um, I don't want to come away from a, from a performance feeling battered. I just, and that's just me at my age, 75 almost. You know, I feel like it's gotta be some inspiration. And by the way, you need to see the movie, Burn the Maps, Burn Your Maps. Okay. It's exactly, exactly what I'm talking about. All right, I will, I will put it on our to watch list. Don't put it on that list. <laughs> Go watch it tonight. I know about that list, Daniel. Okay. I, know yeah. things, I know things, I know how things don't ever go up to the top. Yeah, they go on for on. on. Um, I want to kind of like, so you talk about beauty and inspiration and stuff like that. And I know also you have a strong connection to visual arts. Yes. And, and you have, I guess this is maybe a little tangent. So we talked as we talked before we got started here that I, I love tangents. Um, so I don't maybe this is maybe this isn't. But while you were in New York and yes. you were doing the Laban work, you had the aerial studio. You also worked with worked for de Kooning. Yeah, William de Kooning. Yeah, Not many people have heard of him these days. I, I imagine a lot of people who will be listening to this know who he is. Okay, good. <laughs> I mean. I mean, he was, you know, um, instrumental in the whole abstract expressionist phase. Yeah. I actually worked with him before I went to New York when I was in East, East Hampton. Oh, okay. He lived right down the street from me in East Hampton. And his wife, Elaine de Kooning, took my class at a little local studio. She took my, you know, movement class. Yeah. And she said, I want you to come over every morning and get my husband out of bed. <laughs> He didn't, he didn't like to get out of bed. Well, he was a recovering alcoholic and he was depressed. I see. And she had a separate studio. She wasn't in this. He had a beautiful studio, but she had her own studio. They were separated, but very close. Mm -hmm. So um, I would ride my bike down to his place and it was just open. Since then, of course, it got closed and fortified and guards and it's... It was just a little window in time. Mm -hmm. And I would go in there and he would be in bed, all grumpy and grouchy. He said, You why would you? He said, You wouldn't come if an old dog were lying in the street and kick the dog, would you? And so he 
but he would get up and I would do movement with him. Sometimes we'd go for a ride in my car. I could send you the Huffington Post article that I, again, took from journals. And Adam Gopnik helped me get, um, get a Huffington Post. He thought it was really great. And it was a good article. It was when, and it was when Cooney was having a retrospective at Museum of Modern Art. Okay. So Adam said, Adam Gopnik, you know, he works for the New Yorker. He okay. said, um, he said, you said, so anyway, it's all these little vignettes of my days with, with William de Kooning. And I got to really appreciate his art. Mm -hmm. And Don and I went to an exhibit of his in New York a few years ago after he had died. And it was his latest late work, which again was just open, very non-ego, very spacious like indirect space in Laban, indirect space, uh, like light, lightweight with a kind of airy fine touch to it, mm -hmm. you know, as compared to Kandinsky, which is just, you know, quick, sharp, uh, strong. Um, and then Rothko, who I love too, which is just, just panels of beautiful uh, a palette of panels of paint. Yeah. Like this. Hmm. Even flow. It's so, so, I'm, I'm gonna, I just wanna like interrupt you here for just a second because as you were talking about these three artists, what was yeah. so beautiful is seeing how you physicalized each one and right. how for you like, to be able to talk about art, you have to talk about it with your body. Right. So that was, it was just really beautiful just to watch that. Well, that's what I want to elicit in, because maybe, you know, maybe the Laban work doesn't, doesn't resonate with them, but something will. Music, of course, you know, having music that, that brings up, and people do that all the time. So that's not as unusual, that is, that's not as unusual maybe as, as doing art. The other thing I do, Andrea and I do too, um, is I'll bring a whole little basket of objects, all kind of objects, because I have objects, little altar figures, I call them all over my house. So I'll put them in a basket of, of all different kinds. And then we pass the basket around and people make little vignettes. That's kind of Jungian, like the sand tray. Oh yeah, sure. Jungian, where people will make little vignettes and just then again, how you, the relationship between the objects, I mean, now that's a static thing, but there's still relationship between objects, like, you know, relationship between your movements or between people or the way you make a diagonal or the way you make a circle yeah. or, the way, you know, how you place the objects also uh, can be translated to your movement sensitivities. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it's just it's just so wonderful to see all the different avenues in, right? And and that's getting translated for people who are mostly going to be dancing off the ground in the air. Um, or um, at least, well, Andrea and I actually getting back and forth. Yeah, we did a beautiful duet where I was pulling. Have you ever seen our pieces? I've seen some. Yeah, where I'm pulling her around. I'm pulling her around, talking to her, and she's way up in the ropes, way up in the ropes, and I'm pulling her around, 
and talking to her and she's talking back to me. And that's a beautiful duet. And finally she comes down and I come up to meet her on the, on the bar. And we end up that duet by saying, we're all just walking each other home. We're wow. all just walking each other home, which is Ram Das. Yeah. And that's another thing. Andrea is much more, um, uh, uh, has much more virtuosity in her and strength and everything in her movement now. So she can be up there and I can be on the ground, but we're equal in our collaboration together. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, Susan, thank you so much for taking this time today to talk with me about all of this. And it's really inspiring and um, so great to hear just how you've moved through this world and how all these aspects have influenced you and informed you and all the beautiful work that you've offered the world. So thank you so much for taking the time. Made this really easy and fun, Daniel. Oh, good. That's a, that's a talent in itself. <laughs> well, thank that, you. I appreciate that that we had this rapport. Yeah, my my pleasure. All right. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Susan Murphy. I feel like I could have talked much longer with her and just such a beautiful array of experiences and, and kind of model such a wonderful expression of how to live a creative life. Um, I'm inspired and, and I'm sure you are too. Please check out the show notes to uh, find Susan out in the world. And as always, if you're not subscribed, please subscribe to Act React. It helps us. Um, you can find us on Google and Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, on Stitcher, Podbeam, and even on Vimeo. So we're all over the place. Find us and subscribe. I have one more uh, interview in this little group of interviews that I'm doing here this winter. Um, they'll be released soon. So keep your eye out for that and listen. And until then, be well, take care, and live spontaneously. <laughs>